This is Carol. Akuriabe, this is Selena. So, Carol, tell me about your update about what you've been doing for your project. I'm super excited because you've been gone the past five days. <laughs> so, I think I have given some hints here and there in the previous episodes about a little project that I wanted to start. It's not little. It's finally becoming a dream come true. Uh, I finally got to travel to the destination, which is a small island in the Caribbean Colombian coast, and it's called Isla Fuerte. Uh, it's like paradise, honestly, it's so beautiful, and it has roughly, uh, they told me about 2,000 people. So I went on last Monday, and I stayed there for five days. We, I, I went with my brother-in-law, and we did a little bit of field work, so we conducted some um, interviews and surveys to all the mothers and all the girls in the island, ages 9 to 17. I think I have like 99% uh, approval from all the mothers. So far, I think I have 45 participants. I, all I can say at this point is that I'm very, very excited because I can start working on the materials and photocopies and posters and all the, the, the things that I need. I'm so happy. Like, if you guys can see, could see my smile yesterday, it was like from ear to ear, so. Welcome to Peace Corps Tales. Today is episode number 12, and I'm so excited about our, our um, invitee this week. Let's get to it. How you doing, Kimberly? Hey, good afternoon. I'm doing good. Um, so my name is Kimberly Kim Salazar. I served in Guyana from 2019 to 2020. I was recently evacuated um, in March 2020 due to COVID. Um, so yeah, I served in Abramsville on the Essequibo coast in the region two of Guyana, um, which is over on the, the north side of Guyana, right below Venezuela. Um, and the population's like 40, 46,800 around there. Um, and my village, particularly, I served about like a third of that. So um, that was my site, and I was a health volunteer there. Awesome. Uh, what is it, what language do they speak in Guyana? Yeah, so it's actually English um, is their their official language, but they speak um, Creolese, like Guyanese Creolese, which is like it's they're working on kind of like establishing it more as like their official language, but it sounds very much like like English, except for it has. Um, its own like ring to it they like pronouns differently and um I can give some examples like they use um instead of saying like I don't know they'll be like minano um and instead of saying like I saw her at the market like masishi by the market uh is there like a particular greeting yeah you would just say like oh in the morning you say like morning or like good morning or afternoon good afternoon um you know when you're walking down the the roads and you see um elder like women you'll call them like auntie and like um elder men will be like uncle so like morning auntie morning uncle kind of thing yeah and that's one of the big things that I miss is like just how in my village like everyone like you don't go by a person without acknowledging that they like exist and that they should have a good day you know <laughs> 
So let's just start off with uh, why did you decide to join Peace Corps? So I would say as a Mexican-American um, first-generation Latina woman, I've always um, wanted to have this experience of like serving and giving back to a community um, like similar to one that like I might have lived in if my parents had not migrated to the United States. Um, so I kind of wanted to use my privilege and education and like resources um, to, to give back to a community in a country with more limited resources. Um, so also just kind of like, you know, a soul-seeking, like humbling experience to like engage um, my curiosity of what it would be like to live in a Latin American country because like you know as as Latinas we have this at least I don't want to speak for everyone but like I from people that I've talked to there's like this like nostalgia of like what would it be like to um to have been like raised in the country that like our parents was were from but to my surprise I didn't end up in a real like Latin American country I ended up in a Caribbean country um but <laughs> it served its purpose so well and I wouldn't change it for the world <laughs> I really like that you mentioned the privilege because I think a lot of people when they do Peace Corps they don't see it as a privilege they see it just more as an, an adventure and it is actually a privilege because not a lot of people can just, you know, pick up their stuff and say, hey, I'm going to be gone for 27 months or even if you extend, it would be three, four years. And it is a privilege. It is a privilege that we have this choice and we choose to go into these countries. And, you know, so you did mention that you were hoping to go to Latin America country. And then even though Guyana is still in like the South American continent, it's still like very much a Caribbean you envisioned you were going to one of those countries. So how did you feel when you were like, okay, I'm going to Guyana? Yeah, it was so surprising, honestly. Um, I, I, for First of all, I was like so excited that I even got like an interview or like an invitation to interview and then like eventually an invitation to serve. I don't know. I was just like super open to it. Like I feel, figured like that was honestly my mantra for like 2019 or yeah, when I like did Peace Corps um, was like, open just like to be open to like whatever came um and so I was just like really excited I only knew two people that were from Guyana like a past co-worker and, and they were like also like born in America so they're like first generation like they didn't know a lot about it um and then my cousin's boyfriend was also from Guyana so just like inquired a little bit about the country and the culture with them but it was I think I thought it was like really cool because I was raised in South Florida and like in a circle of a lot of like heavily like Latin American people all from all kinds of places. So I, I knew a little bit about different cultures and different Latin American countries. Um, but from Guyana, I didn't know anything. So it was a really like so, like um, I don't want to say it. It was a blank slate kind of experience, you know, to just kind of like build up. Um, and I, I knew nothing and just just learn uh, everything when I got there. I want to know, so when you were getting ready to start this new chapter in your life, is there anything that comes to mind that made you happy that you pack? Oh, yeah, it's really hard to just think of one. But like, honestly, it's just like all the little things that make me feel like myself. So like my French press to make coffee in the morning or like a variety of earrings to make me feel like colorful and like unique. Um, yeah, like some, some of my favorite like shirts and things like that. So yeah, just like anything that made me feel like myself. I was like, it, it just grounded me so much. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, that is always great. It's the little things that you're just like, yes, this is what I need today. Uh, but is there an item that you wish you had packed? 
Oh yeah, I um watercolors. So I realized that like you would have so much I didn't realize that I would have so much downtime because my life in the States was so like go, go, go. And then over there it's just like, oh no, we're just gonna hammock all afternoon and like gaff, which is like oh the my God, um, yes. <laughs> gaff is like their um term for just like charlar or like to chat right so we're just like throw back and gaff in the afternoon on our hammocks and like I don't know drink coconut water and um listen to some soca and stuff so um I did wish I had I'd had like a something to create like start a new hobby and I always wanted to like do watercoloring so I ended up picking some up um when I came back to visit to the states and bringing some back and it ended up being like a lifeline for me. <laughs> That's a good one. Wow. I didn't even think about doing watercoloring during my service. I did a lot of hobbies. I'll let me tell you. I was very creative. I tried to do everything and anything I could to make my home feel more like a home, but also decorate it. And that was like painting my furniture, painting like a Merrill's, um, <laughs> staining my furniture to look like a rose. Like I just did a lot of different things. <laughs> so I could totally relate to wanting to do a new hobby and like you bringing like watercolors and wanting to give that a try. And I'm sure you said it was like a beautiful scenery where you were. So I'm sure there was a lot that you could have tried to do. So if you can think back to when you're in pre-service training, what was the best memory or highlight that you had from it? Pre-service training was such a journey. <laughs> um, so yeah, my highlight was probably towards the end of training. Um, we had like a Lake Kapui day. So we train in region two in Guyana and there's like a lake there that everyone goes to and has like a cookout and, um, you like swim in the lake and you, you know, bring drinks and have, um, you know, hammock and just hang out. Um, so we all went as a cohort and it was like not like Peace Corps sponsored. It was in like we did it on the weekend. Um, so we didn't feel like the pressure that can sometimes like be present during like Peace Corps training like throughout the day um and so I feel like we just at that point it was towards the end of pre-service training so everyone just like kind of had like some standing friendships you know you grow close really fast with your um peers and your cohort um so it was like this day of wanting to savor like the maybe like the week and a half that we had left together before we all went off to our sites um and also just like realizing like I mean the lake is beautiful so just like how and like being so thankful that like we that we were there it had all my favorite things like friends water because you know from South Florida I miss the beach so much um food and, and camaraderie it was great so was there like kind of like a training facility that you guys were at or did you guys live with host families during pre-service training like how did your living conditions kind of work and like when you guys had that last week was it only like the volunteers were then back together how did that go yeah, so our pre-service training, we everybody lived with a host family, and it was different for everyone. So in Region 2, there's what um, are called, like, more hinterland sites, which are, like, a little bit more rural. Uh, Peace Corps staff was expecting would end up in a more rural site. They um, lived with, in a more rural, with a more rural host family during pre-service training. And then, like, the volunteers that they expected would um, be coastal volunteers that would be in um, – the coastal communities in Guyana have like a little bit more resources or like not rural and have all like, you know, big grocery stores and things like that. So they would put um, volunteers that they expected to be in a coastal site there for, um, for training. And then we would commute every day to um, 
Bacchus Library, which is they're like a big um, supporter of Peace Corps. It's just like the only library in Region 2. So we would train there. So wait, so did they already know like where they were going to place you guys? And that's why they gave you host families like that, like before you guys even arrived? Yeah, I think they had an idea. So in Guyana, there's three sectors. There's environment, education, and health. And most environment, pretty much every environment um, volunteer was um, in a rural site. So all environment volunteers were, yeah, they, they that's how they knew. Um, and then a couple, there was like one hinterland site available for um, health when I, with my cohort and a couple for um, education. And they did ask us like in some of our pre-interviews before we got to the country, like our level of, like our preferences and our level of comfort living in, with like different living situations. Um, and I think they did a great job at like accommodating for that for us. Oh, interesting. Okay. So you guys weren't given options, right? Like for to select your site or were you still given an option? To kind of- we weren't given options, but we were we knew like what our options kind of were based on like when they we learned about the country itself. And then they asked us what our level of comfort was um, living in the different site types, like hinterland being more rural with an indigenous, in an indigenous community, coastal being a little bit more like it is very diverse. So coastal sites have like Indo-Guyanese, Afro-Guyanese, indigenous people, Chinese people, um, you're kind of like European people. Um, so it's very um, multicultural there and diverse. So I'm, I'm guessing Guyana is fairly easy to get from point A to point B, right? Like whatever you are in the country, because Guyana is really not that big, right? Yeah, it's not that big, um, but transportation is actually one of, like, the things that Peace Corps spends the most money on for volunteers because it's just – it's actually kind of pricey. So within, re- like, every um, region – so Guyana is separated – think, like, every region is, like, the equivalent of, like, a state in the United States, except much smaller, maybe more like counties because um, Guyana is kind of small. And um, they usually have what they are called, like, hire cars – um, which is essentially like hitchhiking and they're just like cars that, you know, you will stop on the side of the road, you get in and like you pay them and there's like, a, there's like different fa- um, rates based on like the distance that you go. And then, um, but a lot of times to get between regions, you need to take like either a speedboat or a ferry. So like, for example, to get to the capital, Georgetown from, um, region two, where I lived, we had to cross, um, the Asquiba river and then we would have to take like a small speedboat or a ferry. And then I had to tra- like traverse a whole other region on a minibus. So to get to to the capital for my site, it was um, like a thirty minute car ride on a on a hitchhiking car, um, hire car in my region, and then what's it called a speedboat, which was so anxiety producing <laughs> because multiple times it would stop in the middle of the river, and there's just like river everywhere you look. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, is this gonna be it? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then we would get to Supanam and um, it was like um, where the stelling is, um, where the, the boat leaves you. There's a big market. So it's like very busy and hustle and bustle and people are pulling you and you got to find a minibus. It's kind of fun. Um, and then <laughs> you take the minibus all the way to the capital. So it, it was like a whole day trip. So transportation's not necessarily like easy, I would say, but it's an adventure. <laughs> When you finished your pre-service training and you were heading to your site, how was the transition? Did you have to do all that by yourself 
or the uh, Peace Corps staff help you to get to your site? How does that work? Yeah, it worked kind of cool. So when we swore in, our counterparts were there. And so Peace Corps paid for all of our counterparts to go to our swearing in and like be there with us. And then we all just went back with our counterparts. So it was nice bonding. Yeah. That's, yeah, that is a good way to do it. That's cool. Did you like your house? My host family house. Oh, did you have a host family once you were at site as well? Oh, yeah. So we, we stay with host families um, for the two months of pre-service training and then the first five months at our site. And then did you live on your own after then or no? So I was getting ready to move the week that I got evacuated. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> but I overstayed my five months um, with my host family just because I really liked them. And I wanted to find uh, like a really good place that I like felt comfortable. Like if I was going to leave a place that I really liked, I wanted it to be like something I liked a little bit more. Since you you live with a host family that you really like, can you give us a little bit of more of insight of what was what was your host family like? My host family was um, they were they're amazing. <laughs> so my host mom, Auntie Patsy, her and I are so so tight. Um, I mostly live just with her, so it's, it's her, her husband, Sir Bolaram, who was uh, formerly a teacher at my school, the school that I was teaching at. And then they have three um, children that are like like my age range. So there's like a um, Ashmini who's 27, um, Shiv. Shivanan, who is my same, it was my same age. He was 22 at the time. He's 23 now. Um, and then Ushana, who is in high school. Yeah. So we, we all got along great, but like all the, the children were like either off studying in the capital. So they weren't always present. They would just like come on weekends and stuff. Um, and then my host dad was the, um, headmaster at a rural indigenous school, um, in, in the same region. So he was, had to live on site there. Um, so I was mostly just with my host mom most of the time, which was so great because we just like got to bond and we would cook together. We would clean together. We would laugh together. We'd have beers together. Like it was, it was great. (laughs) They, they always made me feel so at home and so safe. They always say that I'm like their fourth child. I just want to have a little disclaimer. For some reason, my dog, Matias decided to come along. Like, I'm in this basement area where I always do the podcast, and I don't know why he's been nagging at the door for me to open, and I had to let him in. So if you sneak, if you hear a dog either barking or, um, sn- I can't remember the word, roncando. Snoring. Snoring, thank you. I couldn't think of the word. Um, it's just my dog. So can you think back and give us three highlights from the time that you spent in Guyana? There are so many highlights. I loved living there so much. <laughs> My favorite would probably be um, celebrating Mashamani, which is like their celebration of the Republic, which they only became a Republic in kind of relatively recently in 1970. Um, so it's February 23rd every year they celebrate Mashamani. Um, they call it MASH for short. And it's literally a celebration through the entire country. Like every single school is putting together, they have, um, activities, MASH activities. And so they have um, like physical display activities, dances. It's uh, They're all competitions and the schools compete between each other in, in each region. And um, 
So it's like dance, physical display, poetry, calypso singing, and all kinds of really cool like artistic um, activities. Oh, we even make make like floats. Uh, we made this big, beautiful like airplane um, that I helped with. It was so fun. And yeah, so we compete with each school in our region. And then like if you like win in your region, you go to like nationals in the capital, which is really cool. Oh, wait, what did you guys use to make the float? What materials? We use PVC pipe um, and cardboard and like white, like packing tape. Um, so we kind of just like, yeah, so we built this body of the frame. It was like the PVC pipe and then like the body of it, we kind of like molded it with cardboard and tape and then we, um, painted it. It was, it was so elaborate. If like Guyanese are known for something, it's like literally being so elaborate and extra with anything they, they create. I'm so serious. (laughs) (laughs) Things need to look proper is what it is. Like, oh, our plane was looking proper. Like, (laughs) so mash um they also do like it's kind of like the equivalent of carnival um and like because i know a lot of different countries have like a carnival and so mash would be like the equivalent equivalent of that in guyana um so it's on february 23rd and in the capital each region has a big like parade on the road and with like floats and music and all kinds of things but the biggest one's obviously like in the capital so i went with a bunch of my volunteer friends and it was just a ball like we were dancing on floats and it it was just great Everyone ended the day full of glitter. It was beautiful. (laughs) So that's one of my highlights. Um, And then another one is more like work specific. So one thing that my, the teachers at my school, so I was teaching a health curriculum, but I was working with all the teachers at my school. There was about 40 of them. And we had a great like, um, like teacher relationships and they would always, um, come to me and ask me, cause I would play a lot of like interactive, like student centered games for teaching in my health classes. And they would be like, oh my gosh, like we want to learn how to do some of that stuff and like apply it in like our curriculums, like English and math and science. And I'm like, yeah, totally. Like it's not part of my framework, but like that is so fun. And it's something that the community wants. So like, yeah. Um, so I developed this, um, like professional development series called MICE training. Um, it stands for motivational, innovative, creative, and effective teaching. Um, and so I would put together these, um, small, like literally my, my professional development sessions happened in the span of like 25 minutes. And it was pretty much just like us, me and me leading it, but like the teachers playing all these games. And so it was just like kind of them learning while playing it in class and in the span of 25 minutes every like week or so that was super fun everyone loved it and I feel like it's like a lasting thing that they're going to continue to use wait I want to know about this health teaching experience because even though Selena and I were health volunteers we had like a complete different approach you know ours it was more like going out there and trying to put programs together and see what stick and what work and what didn't. So how was that experience about, like, first of all, what kind of uh, health issues were you teaching about? Like, what was the focus of the program and what grades did you teach to? As a health volunteer and the, our positions are technically like adolescent health promoters. So our target population was adolescents and also, um, secondarily like parents of adolescents. 
Um, and so our framework was around – our primary project was working in um, a secondary school teaching the health and family life education curriculum, HFLE for short, which is an official curriculum for health that um, all the Caribbean countries do. is like put together by UNICEF and, and CARICOM. And it has four essential themes – I mean, it, it, it's beautiful. Like, I think we should do this in the States. So it's like all around health. So first it's like self and interpersonal relationships. So like learning about like emotions and like healthy relationships and like mental health essentially. And then it's sexual health and then it's physical health. So like eating well um, and exercising and all that stuff. And then it's environmental health. And that has everything to do with like protecting the environment. Um, but then also like serving the community. And so it's like just super like holistic, this curriculum. I love teaching it. It was so fun. So that's, that was our primary project. And then like our secondary projects were to like start health clubs at the school and, um, start what they call like parenting circles or like the equivalent of it, which is kind of like, um, supporting parents to learn to like better, um, support their adolescents going through all those changes. That was the work that we did. And it was like, the target was to improve, um, like health outcomes for Guyanese people starting at the adolescent phase. So you mentioned that transportation is rather difficult in Guyana. I think that's just the common theme among Peace Corps countries. We all have this, to suffer through very harsh uh, transportation situations. But can you think of a WTF moment, whether it's related to transportation or whatever it is, but as something that you were like, I just can't believe this happened. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it was, um, again, like related to the speedboats and like the anxiety producing experience that it continuously was for me, but I didn't stop taking them. I mean, it gets better with time, right? Like exposure therapy, like the more you're exposed to it, <laughs> the less sensitive you are. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was like I was returning to site or going to site after uh, with my counterpart right after I had swore in. I was like excited to start. I was officially a peaceful core volunteer I had my little pin with the two flags and the little dove is great and all my belongings and here we are in the middle and that's the first time that because I had ridden speedboat that same speedboat before because I was living in region two for um pre-service training as well but this was the first time on that speedboat that it like stopped in the middle of the river um and so so yeah that was my what the fuck like am I even gonna make it to site like can I even start being a volunteer or is this it like is this just it and the boat was like rocking there it was it was a very like choppy day so the boat was rocking there was water coming in the side like my counterpart was yelling at the driver like take us back to the selling like don't try to force the engine like and that's when I knew I loved her I was like yes <laughs> be assertive um yeah so was I gonna be a volunteer or was I not I did make it we did we didn't make it <laughs> I do want to ask, so we kind of cut you off early with the highlights, and I wanted to know, did you have a third highlight that you wanted to say? Third highlight? Yeah, I kind of do. So it was um, our in-service training. This happened a little bit just before um, I got evacuated, but the most special moments for me was like, 
working with my counterparts in like my local community and and Peace Corps together. So my third highlight is our in-service training um, where Peace Corps paid for our counterparts to go to the Capitol with us to be trained on like what our secondary projects were going to be. So um, it was just a really fun. I feel like it was like kind of like a vacation for my counterpart to like have it all paid for Peace Corps. And we stayed at this fancy hotel and um, to like learn a bunch. It just seems so, what's it called? like grateful for that experience and we learned so much that we could integrate into our communities um that's why it was also like super hard to leave for evacuation because we were literally in like the genesis of all these things that we learned in in service training that he was ready to like help and implement into the community and so I, I do hope that some of that stuff sticks and that like their initiatives that he like will continue to do even though I'm not there because he's got the training too which is the best part you know yeah, you know, I totally forgot that it, during IST that we actually got to bring a counterpart. Like, wow, you just actually reminded me because now I'm remembering like who I took. I took Maria from my site, who was like an assistant at the hospital. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, like, that's right. We did get to bring her. And I remember people kind of knew that this was going to happen in my site because I was like the second volunteer. And so it had happened before. And people were like coming to me, like asking me to take them. And I was like, what is your problem? Like, right. <laughs> leave me alone. Like, I will choose who I want to bring. And so. <laughs> it was uh it was interesting and I brought Maria because she worked at the hospital and she had no real like formal training like she wasn't a nurse or anything but she worked so hard and I just remember being like yes I need you to be helpful to me like I need you to know these things because you help every day here like it would be like beneficial and so yeah thank you for reminding me of that I completely forgot about that <laughs> and that's awesome that like you had fun with your counterpart although it is saddened that unfortunately you weren't able to put what you guys had learned together to practice but hopefully he does use that information as you said for like the community so now we're gonna go to more of a like a top omg moment that you may have I feel like there were so many moments like that, just like in, in the classroom when like a student would resp- or like when the class would respond positively to some activity that we did. Like if we were like checking knowledge at the end, we're playing some like, I don't know, like a slap it game or something. And like everyone just knew the answers to all the questions and, um, or like when students had like really, um, interesting questions about like relationships and emotions and like sex and all these things. And so I just think all of those moments um like I that those those were it for me I I remember having so many OMG moments like walking through my school um after like after school when like there was no students and just being and just like feeling like I belonged there um and my school was like right in front of the beach too so there was just always this like really cute breeze and just thinking like an outdoor school so close to the beach with so many like magical students um those were, I don't know if there was always just one OMG moment, but there was a lot of small OMG moments. <laughs> said that you cooked with your host mom and you said that you didn't want to leave your host family because like you overstayed your welcome, as you said, but I'm sure they didn't see it that way. But for food, so what was your favorite dish while you were in service? Did you learn how to make it? And are you able to make it in the States now? Yeah. So my favorite dish, I probably, I can make most of it, but it's, um, in region two, they're mostly Indo-Guyanese. Um, so from like West Indian descent, my family was, um, Indo-Guyanese. So I got, I was exposed to a lot of the Indian traditions and one of their like ceremonial foods that they have at like all the weddings or jandis, which are like religious think um, Thanksgiving functions, um, is something called seven curry. 
And it's essentially served – it's served beautifully in, like, this big water lily. Um, and then, like, in the middle of it, they, they put rice, like, white steamed rice, um, dal, and then seven different curries. One of them is chana curry, which is, like, chickpea curry, bhaji, which is, um, like, spinach curry um, or kalalu, pumpkin curry, um, katahar, which is kind of like jackfruit. Um, potato or bygone, which is eggplant, edo curry, achar, which is pretty much like mango curry. It's like spicy and sweet and it's delicious. <laughs> um, and you pretty much like mix it all. It's called cha um, which is like eating, like you mix it all with your fingers and you just like eat it with your hand and you just like sit on the floor and gaff with, and, and it's ceremonial. So it's usually like at a wedding or something and you just like feel super thankful to be around like cool people eating this delicious food. It's great. Was there like a certain type of the curry that you liked or you just liked it all and you're just like, yes? I liked all of them. Um, but so since it's like a, a ceremonial curry or type of curry, the seven curries, none of them have any meat. Um, they're like vegetarian. Um, but like I also really love chicken curry, um, but that they just like make that on the days that they're not fasting. And and I actually just made that the other night here <laughs> with a friend that I had made in Denver. Yeah. I guess I'm a little confused. Like, I don't really know about your housing situation, like how rural or like urban it was in a sense. So for this one, what kind of chores did you guys like have to do? And can you name one that you were just like, you had a lot of fun doing because you wouldn't have had to do it in the States or you just were like dreading it? Yeah, so my site was a coastal site, so I guess it would be like a little bit more urban, but still not really. Some people on the coast, if you had a little bit more money, you would have like washer machines, but most people didn't. And plus, it's just kind of like traditional to wash by hand. So that's actually, it's funny, it's the thing that you hated to do because I loved to do it. Um, it would take up literally a quarter of my weekend every weekend. Um, but I just wanted to be like so meditative. So like my, um, my host family had this big garden and then behind the garden was just like fields and fields of rice because in region two, that's like the main crop is like rice. So there's just like all these rice fields and like big tall palm trees in the back. So it was just like beautiful scenery. Um, I just like play some chill music or like put in a podcast and, and just like wash clothes and I don't know it was a great way for like me to slow down because I feel like my life in the states was so busy and it was always like my time to slow down um it was really humbling and I miss it actually (laughs) yeah did you ever walk in the rice paddies because I know for me that was one of my favorite times when I would have to walk to different villages or cities and then like or if I was just exploring and walking through a rice paddy especially when the rice was really tall it was always very pretty and I always just loved it like did you ever get to do that I never got to walk through the rice paddies, no. I should have asked my host dad to let me because he owned a couple of the rice fields and he would go all the time. Yeah, I remember I'd always be fearful, though, that I'd fall and get all muddy because, like, there's always those little trails. And so I'd always be on them and I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be the moment where, like, I completely eat shit and, like, everyone's going to be watching me and, like, laugh and have, like, a great time. (laughs) But luckily that only happened once. Oh, oh my god, now that you mention it, I did fell once. It was like a, it was already dry because it was already the dry season, so the rice party was in full of water. And I was going with my friends to this waterfall, and like I was following them on the little trail, and I was like, oh my god, please don't let me fall because it's going to be very embarrassing, embarrassing. And I don't know what I did. I was like, think, I think I was, I had to hop one, like from a higher trail to another one, and I just fell and like, 
I like rolled for a couple of meters and like I was like full of dust and obviously I was with my best friend and she was she's like a joker so she made fun of me for the next month because every time we got together she always brought out the fact that I fell going up to the waterfall it was very embarrassing but at least I wasn't covered in mud so being in Peace Corps, um, for some people, is rather difficult, maybe more difficult from some than others. Um, in your case, how did, you, uh, how did you maintain your personal and emotional well-being? So I feel like I had such a self-care, like a beautiful self-care routine while living in Canada. And partially is because I probably had the time for it. And here in America, I like grieve not having that time anymore. <laughs> um, but I like my daily schedule was so like, say I would wake up and shower, go to school and, and teach. And, you know, that's very high at pace, high energy with like, you know, 10 to 15 year olds. And then I would come home in the afternoon. Sometimes we had like after school activities, but most times I would just come home and shower again because, you know, you're sweating after a long day of work. And then it was really just like wind down time. Like it was, it was me like journaling. I would do yoga every single day. I would lay on my hammock. I loved watching sunsets from like the balcony. Uh, I put the bal- my hammock up in the balcony of um, my host family's house. And w- there was just like this beautiful, I guess like a, a, my skyline of like the village and a, t- a bunch of really tall palm trees. And so like as the sun was setting, they would turn into like silhouettes. Like, so it was just like, it was so pretty and all kinds of like oranges and pinks and blues and uh it was great. So honestly, I was like every time that like I just like needed to tend to my mental health and my well-being was just by feel like grounding myself in my experience there. Also, it just hanging out with like once I did make local friends, hanging out with them like after school, getting invited to their house to have meals or going to rum shops to have a couple of drinks, like staying connected to my community. That's how I stayed well. <laughs> I just wish hammocks were a thing in Madagascar. Because that would have added, like, a whole enjoyment level to my service. Because I love hammocking. Oh, it's so it's so relaxing. Yeah, I just want a little bit of clarification. So when you say hammocks, I remember you mentioned it before, that other people have hammocks, too. So is that a huge thing in Guyana that you guys, like, is it, like, they sell hammocks there? Or did you, like, bring it from the States? I brought my own hammock from the state, like the camping kind that you could just like take anywhere. Um, but it's a big thing in Guyana. Everyone has like a, their hand woven hammocks that they sell at the markets there. I don't know if it was in your case, but vacationing for Selena and I were, I think that was like a good um, strategy to keep ourselves uh, sane and a, a great opportunity to get together. Do you have time to explore the country and like have a vacation in Guyana? I had a, a couple of opportunities to explore. The one that's like stands out the most to me was actually for my birthday. So there is one winery in like all of Guyana. It's called, they have distilleries because like they're big on like rum. El Dorado, like rum is like their thing. And they have like beers that are also Guyanese and um, they're big on that, but they're not huge on wine, but they do have one winery. And it's called Pandama and it's really cool because it's like a winery and they make it from, they make the wine from local fruits, things like, well, like lime wine, they have passion fruit wine, guava wine. So they also have these, um, it's like, in the, it takes you a while to get there. It's like back in like um, forest area and they have places where you can camp. Kind of like, I mean, not really glamping because like the little cabin that you rent is just like a bed and a, 
um, mosquito net. <laughs> um, but they have this beautiful Blackwater um, lake there too. So Blackwater is like what people swim in in Guyana. They, they're coastal on the right by the beach, but the beaches in Guyana are very, the water is very murky. Um, it has to do with like tannins and like the sand consistency. I don't know. My environment volunteers try to explain it to me, but like I'm doing a horrible job at like regurgitating that. <laughs> but anyways, people don't swim at the beach. They swim in black water lakes. Yeah. And so um, the water's literally like when you go in it, it just feels like you're swimming in Limpton tea, truly. And you can't see what you're swimming in, um, which is like half the fun. So, <laughs> so, so Pandama, they have this beautiful little, um, it's just such an oasis. It's like surrounded by like just natural, like forest jungle. And, um, we went and it was a full moon that night too. So we like, were there on the day hammocking and like drinking wine by this lake. And then in the nighttime, it was like the, the moon just illuminated like all the trees and like the natural, like messy greenery of the forest so beautifully. Um, it was just so relaxing. It was so Guyana. Like, that's why, that's a big reason too why I like miss Guyana every day is because Guyana for me just symbolizes so much peace, um, that I don't, I don't think could ever exist in the society that we have here in the States. Yeah, that's a hundred percent true. You know, you had a great experience and you love your time in Guyana. Is there anything, any advice that you can give to people that are an inspiration to join Peace I would say like the two biggest things that helped me um, the most in and I feel like made my service as great as it was, was just having like this disposition of being really open and really respectful. Um, and, and I think that that's another big reason why, like, I felt like it was so meant to be that I went to Guyana because I really knew absolutely nothing. Like every, every day was a learning experience about like how you do daily activities. How do you get around like language? Like not going to lie. The first couple of, um, like even like right after, I swore and I had lived there for like two months already, but sometimes people would be speaking in Korealese and I still wouldn't understand. And it's technically so similar to English that like you would think you would, but there's a big adjustment period and um, it's really important to remain like open and humble to the experience. Um, and even having that same disposition when it comes to the work that you're doing, like you're only there for two years. So yeah, Peace Corps trains you and yeah, you kind of have like a framework, which is like a quasi agenda. Um, but at the end of the day, like it's more about relationships and it's more about, I, I don't know, to some degree, like, like an ethnographic, I, I don't want to say research, but like experience where you're like learning like about another culture and it's not like you're doing something for them, but it's like you're experiencing something with them. Um, and I think that that's um, a really great disposition to go if you're thinking about doing Peace Corps is that realize that this isn't like, yeah, it's kind of a job, but like it's also not, it's also like an experience. And I think a big piece of diplomacy in, is part of the, the job. And it's like, it's important to like represent um, the United States as being like really diverse, you know, like a lot of people didn't, like they saw me and like, I'm a white passing Latina. So they're just like, oh, white gal, white gal. But it's like, no, actually my parents are from Mexico and um, people in, and actually didn't know much about Mexico. So I think that it's, also like considering like what you bring to the table and how unique you are um and um considering like how that's going to have a, another country view america as a little bit more accurately than what it's portrayed in the media 
I really appreciate what you said that we are not there to help them. We are there to experience something with them. I think that uh, is a beautiful way to put what service can be and should be for most of us. And so to all of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us again to another tale. Thank you so much for having me and listening to my tale. <laughs> so on my own, thank you again, everyone, for listening. And thank you so much, Kimberly, for coming and being our interviewee. It's been a blast. I've had fun listening about Guyana. It sounds amazing. It's definitely on me and Carol's vacation spots to go now. But for our listeners, if anyone's interested in being an interviewee for our podcast, you can go to our website at peacecoretalespodcast.weebly.com. That's dot w-e-e-b-l-y dot com. And it's completely spelled out, all words. There is an interest form that you can fill out. And also, you can also see show notes from our episode today. So Kimberly gave us some pictures so you can see some pictures of her service and just kind of see the beautiful sceneries that Guyana has to offer and additionally, if you want to connect with us on social media, we do have an Instagram uh, account at PC Tales Podcast. So that's PC Tales Podcast for our Instagram name. So thank you again. And it was wonderful speaking with you, Kimberly. I really do appreciate that you took the time to come and chat with us. So thank you so much. And remember, Peace Corps will be the toughest job you will ever love. Velume. Velume, abe. Aminimanara kikua.